Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. Today is episode 22. Our special guest is Scott Diggs, and the title is Impactful Leaders Consistently Do the Right Thing. Scott is a serial entrepreneur, a pilot, a kite surfer, what he calls a skiing powder hound. And Scott has started and grown numerous businesses. He has led an organization of nearly 2,000 people and built a life of balance and spiritual growth. Scott's going to share with us today his secrets to building a great team and culture, as well as his deep conviction that consistently doing the right thing will lead you to financial success, to legacy, to influence, and to impact. Get ready to be granted some deep wisdom from one of the most grounded leaders I've ever met. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. I am so excited to be here today with another one of my good friends, Scott Diggs. Scott's coming to us from Wrightsville Beach, North Carolina. And since you probably want to get here, the audio of this, I'm going to just tell you ahead of time, Scott is sitting out on his balcony, overlooking the sound on a beautiful day here in April. And I am very jealous that I'm not with him right now, even though I have a beautiful day as well. So (laughs) excited to have Scott with us here today. He's a a multi-time entrepreneur, business leader, father leader, uh, follower of God, one of the most interesting people I've ever met in my life and grateful to have met him four or five years. Now call him friend and welcome here today on the podcast. Great. Thank you, Jeff. Glad to have you here, Scott. Thanks, Craig. Yeah, good to be here. <laughs> so, Scott, give us a little bit of the Scott story. Sounds good. Um, the the 50,000 foot overview is I'm 52, serial entrepreneur. Um, got out of college in 1989, went to East Carolina University, uh, graduated with an undergraduate degree in finance, uh, had no money. So I, I had to go to work for somebody for a little bit, but always knew I wanted to do my own thing. Um, and so while I was living in Atlanta, I met a good friend of mine who had started a parking company uh, called Lanier Parking. Um, and he was in the very infancy stages of the company. Um, and it was that opportunity that I found to join up with him. Uh, for us to uh, to take that company and really step on the on the gas with that company, and that we were able to take that company uh, from just a couple of employees when I hooked up with them uh, and moved to the Carolinas in Virginia, where we started a whole nother division of the company, hmm. um, which is all parking management related. <clears throat> um, and so what we did is is that in uh, 2014 we had a successful exit uh, to a private equity firm on the street for that company. We finished that company with about 2,000 employees, 450 locations, uh, primarily through the southeast, pretty much from Virginia down the eastern seaboard, and then over to uh, to Phoenix was the furthest west that we were at that point. So we had about 450 locations, 52 cities, and a couple thousand people. Um, So professionally, that was the first company uh, that I got involved in. 
Um, and then since then have uh, done a few other things. We've got an equipment rental company now that uh, another good friend of mine uh, from college um, um, have been blowing up together. We've got an equipment rental company where we've got about 250 units presently in service uh, in about 35 cities or so across the country. Hmm. Uh, and I also fiddle around in the hotel development business. So some, hmm. some other good friends of mine, we participate in developing and building select service hotel products uh, such as Hilton Marriott flags um, in medium to small size markets. Wow. So wow. that's the quick overview professionally, uh, <laughs> what takes up most of my time. 52 years old, uh, went through divorce um, about six, seven years ago. Um, and have gotten remarried, um, married my college sweetheart. Uh, so we married about a year ago and having a wonderful time together. Uh, I've got two sons that are 23 and four, and, uh, and I now have three daughters um, with Lisa. So um, for her girls that are about the same age. So, um, so we're having a good time together. <laughs> you have had quite the journey. And there's one piece you didn't mention that I want to bring in because I I have a feeling it ties somewhere to the business as well, and that is your love of extreme sports. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So speak to a couple of those. I've got this problem, um, a couple of problems, <laughs> and fortunately my, uh, my bride understands this. There's oh, the, uh, it works with me uh, as much as possible, but I'm an, I'm an avid snow skier. I'm a, they call us powder hounds. I love to go find deep snow, uh, deep powder snow, wherever that may be. So we search for, uh, for deep powder and uh, wherever we go. So I try to ski uh, 25 or 30 days a year uh, somewhere wow. out west, which is challenging living in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, so love, love that. And then my other uh, big passion is, or two, I guess, I love uh, kite surfing. Uh, so, and that's a great place to do that here. So I've been doing that for about 16 or 17 years. So a lot of fun with that. So I'm probably one of the older guys out there. Um, and uh, we have a great time with that. So we, uh, like to get out when it's blowing 25 knots or more. And, um, and we live in a hurricane area. So our biggest challenge when we're in hurricane prep mode is get the house all ready and get the boats out of the water, but you got to leave one boat in the water because you have to be able to get to the barrier islands to be able to kite surf (laughs) the day before and the day after the storm. (laughs) Oh, that sounds great. I've been wanting to try kite surfing. I'm uh, like you. I've done hang gliding, skydiving, and uh, I love sailing. Uh, I have a two-line kite, but it's not not quite big enough to pull me off the ground yet. So, (laughs) Right. Well, come down and I'll get you on one of mine. That sounds Uh, good. And then I've also well, got a passion for aviation. So I've, uh, I've been yep. flying for about 16 years. So I okay. love flying airplanes, but I don't try to do that, Jeff, with the same focus. I do that more, <laughs> more cautiously. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, I'm a pilot as well. Oh, good. All right. Nice. Yep. Well, and it's a good thing those, those extreme sports aren't dangerous at all, and you've never been hurt during that. <laughs> I have been hurt, but yeah. fortunately not terribly hurt on those things. It's stupid stuff that I've gotten hurt doing. Yeah, falling off a ladder. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, I do enjoy that. So I think it's extremely important um, to have a good work life balance. Um, And I will talk about that today because that's one of the things that I do uh, try to really focus on. Yeah. Yeah, So let's, let's talk about that. And from a perspective of a phrase I use a lot is, and you just use work balance. And my experience is most people struggle finding, trying to find balance. And I think one of the reasons is that balance for me doesn't exist balance is means perfectly equal somehow mm. 
And that's really difficult to find. And the word or concept I often look at is integration. And I think you've done a great job of integrating your life. Um, I mean, you've got business interests, you've got family interests. So it's not just about time, but talk about from that, but the idea I've offered you around integration, how does that show up in your life and leadership? Well, it's, um, I take the last week of the year, which is typically downtime, um, between Christmas and New Year's. And I, um, our, our pastor started a thing about 10 years ago that's called um, My One Word. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with that one word, the, the lens is you select a word that the Lord's placed on your heart that you want to look through that lens of that word for the following year. Uh, this year, my word is legacy. Um, mm. And it's uh, all about w- what that word means. I, I took an airplane ride, as a matter of fact, to go snow skiing up in Canada. So I was on that plane a long time. And I focused on that word for the entire flight. And I ended up with like five pages of notes around how does that word represent itself uh, in my life or in your life. And so I take four pieces of paper and I write on those pieces of paper um, just a big yellow pad, which is this is all goal oriented, but family on one, spiritual goals on one, business goals and personal goals. And they all integrate with one another in your life. So mm-hmm. as you, I, I take that word and that lens and this goal setting sheet, and through that, I try to make sure through the course of the year that you plan these goals and they do integrate with one another. So what I try to do from an adventure perspective or spiritual mm-hmm. perspective, you have to block time to yeah. do the things you want to accomplish. Um, what do you so, put on your calendar first? Uh, spiritual. So I, be- I believe it's extremely important to start each day in the Word and just get some tidbit or nugget out of, out of scriptures, out of um, some sort of daily devotional. I love Jesus Calling. I think it's a great one to start with, but yep. try to get something with that. And then uh, exercise and fitness is extremely important. So try to work all that in earlier in the day and then business. And then, um, but I think it's super important to try to allocate time for all of that. I think we have a very bad habit as entrepreneurs when you're driven type A people to mm-hmm. make sure that you just don't all work completely all of the time. You have to Absolutely. make sure you do other things. For example, in the summer months, it's uh, windy here in the May, June timeframe. I'm going to try to really make sure that I leave time in my afternoon if the wind blows for me to go out and get that that wind fix or that adrenaline release uh, out yeah. on the water. That's just an example. Oh, that's awesome. And what about when you're scheduling the bigger things throughout the year? How do you set your priorities on your calendar? What, what do you make sure of? Like I've heard some people say they schedule their vacation first and they work business around it or, you know, whatever those things are. So are there certain things that you put on your calendar first and then kind of work everything else in? I do. And I think it's the, it's the adventure trips first because they do okay. take a lot more time to, to plan. And in certain yeah. circumstances, you can't always get in just any time you want to go for certain mm-hmm. places that we want to go and experience. You have to book things well in advance. So, yeah, definitely book those in advance. Uh, and they are on my calendar way in advance. Um, okay. I've already got or some of the, I've got three, three weeks already lined up next winter for skiing as an example. Um, and trying to coordinate <clears throat> those trips. So those do go on first. So I think you can, especially when you are in control of your own schedule, you can work the business in mm-hmm. around those trips and you can yeah. do business frequently. So I do try to get those on the calendar first. Great. So let me, let me throw in a challenging question here, Scott. I think it's an important one because I'm confident people listening to this right now have already made a conclusion about you. <laughs> and that conclusion is here's the guy who's arrived at success. 
And it's easy for him to structure his life this way and prioritize this way because he's arrived. I'm the one trying to get there and they're going to tell themselves, I can't do that while I'm trying to get there. You only get to do that once you've arrived. <laughs> so what do you say to that? I know that I subscribe to the theory of arrived. I don't know that I have a, arrived. I think I've got an, a, a situation where I have an opportunity to, to do things and to have some fun experiences, but I don't, don't know that I really think about arriving. I mean, for me, my focus is a little different than it used to be. And maybe that's what you're asking, Jeff, is now it's, uh, it's more for me. It's not about making money. It's about trying to, to have influence mm-hmm. uh, and to build companies and to build a culture and to build a team of people around me that allow me to do what I like to do. I mean, I think as an early example, probably five or six years into my parking company, we didn't have a lot of people. We probably had 100 employees or something like that. But from an infrastructure perspective, we didn't have much. We didn't have HR. We had accounting people, but we didn't have HR. We didn't have legal. We didn't have infrastructure of uh, managerial level people. We did pretty much everything ourselves. So I worked a ton. And that's just indicative of a startup. I mean, it's just part of what you have to do in a startup. You have to work a lot. That's just how it is. I mean, you're on 24-7. And for me, it was extremely difficult to be type A and control kind of person to relinquish duties to people that I'm hiring. And so what I tried to do is I tried to find and surround myself with people that I could bring onto my team. And what I learned was, is at first I tried to hire people that knew more than I did about parking and it didn't work. It's sort of like buying a computer that already has a virus on it. You know, you, you just can't get the virus out, right? Sometimes you're better off to go buy a new machine and start from scratch. So what I learned was, is I was, I was more successful in hiring people that were like-minded, oh. equally yoked, and teach them parking. So if I can teach them my way of doing things, then let's say they're only 90% as good as I am at that task. It took me a long time to get to a place that I was okay with someone else doing the job 90% as well as I could do it, mm-hmm. which, which, and it took me a long time to relinquish that. So I'd bring somebody on board and work with them for a year or so. And all of a sudden they're doing it 90% as well as maybe I would do it. And so what I learned was, is I taught them to come to me with their problems, but also come to me with several solutions. Mm-hmm. What that allowed me to do is to free me up to not have to focus on the entire problem but they know the problem better than I do. So just come up with here are the two or three solutions that they feel like make the most sense. And then we coach them through their responses and their answers. And certainly Mm -hmm. they're going to make mistakes and that's okay. But what I learned was, is if you spend enough time teaching people the right way, then you'll be able to empower leadership under you. So that does free you up to be a bigger thinker and to work on your business as opposed to working in your business. And those are very, very different. Working in your business makes you work all day long. Working on your business allows you to be a visionary. I think it's really interesting how you talk about getting that person that maybe doesn't know the industry as much. And I've, I've always felt that the way that you actually grow the business is you get people who don't know and are not ingrained in the way that things have always been done, but rather get somebody from different areas where they can bring their expertise and their, their experiences from other industries into what you're doing. So right. have you found that that was a way to maybe increase innovation or, or things like that? Yeah, I think people have this misnomer of the term entrepreneur. And <laughs> I think that most people think an entrepreneur is the guy that owns the company. He started this, he created something, and mm-hmm. now he owns the company. And that is an entrepreneur. 
which that is an entrepreneur, but there's also way, way more opportunity than just being that person. I mean, yeah. you can have, I try to hire entrepreneurial people mm-hmm. in my companies so that when I come up with another good idea, whether it's a, a new vertical inside of an existing company or a whole new company or whatever we're trying to do, I like to have entrepreneurial people that are actually in my company so that I can basically say, hey, hey, Jeff, we've been working together for a year. You've done a great job here. Here's the playbook. Run with this one. We'll capitalize it. We'll be here to coach you. Here are the resources. Here's our family office backing that has your legal accounting. We got all the resources, but I want you to run with this one. Here's the football take off. So if I can hire people with the following characteristics that are visionary people, they've got to have high energy level. They've got to be self-confident. They have to have a tolerance for failure. Failure happens and that's okay. But what do we do to pivot from the failure and actually take that mistake and, and pivot from it and adjust quickly and not sink the ship? on one little task. I want them to be creative. And I want to make sure they have strong internal controls and, and a person of integrity. So that if we do all of that, then we're equally yoked. And if you're equally yoked, your propensity for success is, is way better. And I'd rather have that person that I teach my traits than to have somebody that's coming in already tainted and may not <laughs> do things the way that we may want to. Yeah. Man, sounds like my ideal job. I'm, I'm ready to go apply. <laughs> <laughs> Send me those people. I'm happy to interview them. <laughs> so, Scott, I have this theory, and I'm going to share the theory with you and get some feedback. So the theory is that most leaders want to get it right. Hmm. They do. I mean, they don't wake up and say, I want to mess this up. They don't wake up and say, I want to trample on my people. They, they wake up wanting to, with great intentions but a lot of them are failing at the intentions. And my theory is this. One reason they fail is they think they're better than they are. <laughs> They've just got some blind spots. And, they're, and, and Tommy was talking about it with us yesterday. You know, everybody says they're, so many leaders say they're a servant leader, but really only about 10% actually are. And so one is an awareness issue. And if you think you're better than you are, you're not going to get better because you're already there. Mm-hmm. Number two is somewhere in there, there's some resistance to change. There's something going on that's sort of that obstacle for them living their intention. And I'm curious, how has that shown up for you? And perhaps what did you learn about the things that were getting in your way of leading the way you wanted before you shifted? I think of a friend of mine, it's like, I think every day is an opportunity, right? So you have to wake up with great intentions, with good opportunities, and don't let that particular day get past you. And I think if you've got a habit uh, to your question of procrastination or issues that represent themselves in your life, and you've got to figure out a way to make that work for you. Uh, for example, I mean, I've, I've got a case of dyslexia, I've got ADD and all these other issues going on. And so for me, I've had to figure out a way in my life to try to compensate for those things. Mm. Um, and so I think learning what your pros and, and, uh, and cons are, and trying to accentuate the things that are positives and to offset those that aren't, that you're, that you're not so good at, and surrounding yourself with people that are smarter than you, um, and to compensate for those cons uh, is something that I've really had to work on to try to do in my life. Hmm. Well, I think you mentioned a big one. You talked about getting people <clears throat> to the point they can do it 90% as well as you, and I meet a lot of leaders who that's not the number they use. They want someone who does it as well as they do, or in fact, the same as they do before they'll let go of the control. I don't think that's realistic, though, because ultimately, when you're, when you're running the business, your whole heart and soul is into that. And I just don't think that everybody that comes along is going to be at that same level. Right. 
Well, that's what I'm saying. They, they're not. It's impossible. Right. But so yeah. it's a setup. And I mean, I have a lot. One of the things I tell leaders all the time in my coaching is you've got to let their ideas be enough most of the time. Mm, yeah. Right. Your ideas will probably, probably always be better. Not every time, but most of the time they will be better. But you can't rely on your ideas. You've got to allow space for their ideas to be implemented and be good enough. And I get a lot of resistance to people say, well, don't we want to have the best decision? I said, no, because the best decision actually may keep you from building a team forever. Mm. Yeah. Well, plus what I learned as we got bigger and bigger and we had that many cities with that many locations in our parking company is a good example. I had to empower local people, local managers and local markets and local garage managers or facility managers are running an event to have ownership in that particular location so that they do own it, that it is theirs. Um, and ultimately, they ended up knowing it better than I did. All they needed was for me to coach them. And what I found interesting was is that 90% that they were missing is probably not that they didn't have the skill set for that extra 10%. They didn't have the world of knowledge and the experience of, uh, of maybe what I have come to the table or somebody else on our team uh, that may know the other 10%. So we would fill the other 10%, which will allow them to be much more effective in their operation. And I incentivize them to own their operation. I incentivize them financially. Their, their compensation, their bonuses were structured upon the successes uh, or failures of location. So all of a sudden, they do have some semblance of ownership in their location and they are little mini entrepreneurs inside of the company. So we had a couple yeah. hundred people in manager positions and they all had their ownership of, of that piece of that. So I think that was a critical component of how we were able to be successful, at least in, in my portion of the, of the company. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartavera. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartavera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartavera.com. Welcome back. So, you know, we, the Olympics this year is, is being put off a year, but what popped in my head about the Olympics is there's always this question in a lot of the events around the degree of difficulty, right? And they measure performance against degree of difficulty. So I'm curious for you, Scott, earlier in your career, what was the degree of difficulty for you in letting go of control? Because mm. that's a big issue for leaders is the actual letting go. Oh, huge. I mean, it took me years to work through letting it go. And it only became prevalent to me out of the same thing we were talking about earlier with the work-life balance. And I had young children and I was starting the company and I think I was doing, I think I started the company in like 27 or something of the cities that we were in. So I, that's why I learned to fly because I needed to be able to get around <laughs> and to get to multiple places. I did it out of desire, but also out of necessity. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, I had to give up some control. I had to give up the opportunity for others to step in to succeed and be a piece of that as opposed to me trying to do it all. And then if you can create that character uh, in these people with people of integrity, then it also flows into the life because you become friends with your, with your team at this point. I never uh, envisioned myself as being the boss or the owner of the company. I envisioned myself as just being one of the team members. So if I'm in a suit walking through a parking deck and I saw trash on the floor, I'm the first one to pick it up. I'm yeah. not, any different than our managerial person or the people that are in the janitorial portion of that. They just missed 
the Coke can in the corner, or maybe it just got there. So I went and grabbed it. So I think if you teach people to have ownership, then you can be much more successful that way. I, I don't know, Scott, you just freaked me out there. I thought we weren't allowed to be friends at work. <laughs> I, I, I know disagree. a lot of leaders. I've had a lot of leaders tell me that in the last month. I just don't agree with it. I don't I either. Mean, you can totally be friends with your people. I mean, that's at the end of the day, I mean, if you're going to instill character in people, I mean, I would have people call me up asking me, Scott, you're older than I am. And I've got a, a five-year-old or I've got a, something going on in my marriage or I've got this going on. And, um, and I know that you probably walked there before. Would you mind sharing with me, you know, how you navigated this particular subject? I've got a, you know, a kid that's piddling around with marijuana. You know, what am I supposed to do? You know, with this, you've already walked through through this. So, you know, what do I do? So I, I completely agree with the theory that you can be friends and you can work together um, in your in your team. Well, I, I certainly agree with you, Scott. And I I push back pretty hard on leaders that say that I said, look, the problem is not being friends at work. The problem is being their manager and leader puts more pressure on you because you still need to be willing to lead them yeah. through the friendship. Right. That's the issue. Right. So if there's a challenge, it's your challenge. It's not their right. challenge. Well, and that's when your faith journey becomes a piece of it too. So yep. I think it's impossible if you're a person of faith for that to be hidden in your life too. So that when you're doing things, what I try to say, and I've, I have so far missed this mark, so please don't take this as if I've reached this goal because I have made many, many mistakes and I make mistakes every single day. But, uh, but I do try to be a person of integrity and I try to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. every time. So sometimes the right thing is expensive. And, yes. and in certain circumstances, you have opportunities and decisions to make in your businesses that, ooh, the right thing is going to cost a lot of money to do the right thing. But if you do the right thing, then you teach your folks to do the right thing. You teach your family to do the right thing. You teach your kids that you're doing the right thing. And so if you're always focusing on being that person of integrity, then it integrates through every aspect of your life, in my opinion. So how transparent are you when you're making those types of decisions with the people who are around you? In business, it depends on the level of that person. If it's like in our company now, we're extremely transparent in our equipment rental company that we have now. So we have a a small team of about six people and then my partner and I. So it's a team of about eight people and we're extremely transparent. So we share with everybody almost everything that we're doing and going on in the company, including our financial statements, because again, we're trying to empower them to make wise choices in our company. So our CFO is completely in the loop. Our, our, our analysts are completely in the loop. So we don't hide anything from them. So we're all connected to the same. Everything's in the cloud these days. We're all connected to the same folders and files. So everything's mm-hmm. out there for them to see. Um, yeah. so I think that's very important. Well, one of the things I've heard leaders say about transparency mm-hmm. is and transparency, transparency for me is usually about information. That's just my definition. I separate a little bit from authenticity and vulnerability, but I've had leaders tell me, well, I don't want people to have too much information because they don't know what to do with it. That's one thing they say, which I think is a BS answer, frankly. <laughs> and secondly, they'll, what I think is ultimately the core is they'll say something like, I don't really want them to be able to figure out what I make. Oh, and I've heard that over and over, and I've always challenged them and said, well, what do you, what do you think they're going to do with that information? Yeah. Like, why, why is that something you don't want them to have? And the th- funny thing is they usually don't have an answer. Yeah. 
that they sort of do the, <laughs> but how, you know, you said in your company, you're very transparent. I don't know if that was true in your, in the parking company when you had a couple thousand employees. Much more in our current companies than when we had a couple thousand. I mean, obviously that's why I was mentioning there are layers of, uh, of your infrastructure that are, uh, in the trust category and, uh, and in some circumstances, people don't really need to know things. It also is a function of trust, too. If we had, you know, we probably had 50 people in the parking company that were in the circle of trust that we could trust with all information. Mm-hmm. And you start going further down into the organizational structure, you know, they, they don't need that information. Sure. And if some information can get out, it, it could be harmful, so you don't want that to occur. So I think that's a big part of it in knowing what the job positions and the titles and what people need to have and why they need to have it. Yeah. Well, you hit a big word in every, almost every podcast we've done, maybe all of them, we've gotten around to trust. And, you know, there's trust levels of certain, like, do I trust you with this information, <clears throat> trust you with the project? But can you talk about the importance of trust in building an organization and how you've gone about building that? I think I touched on the way that we were talking about the selection of people and the type of people that you're hiring and if they have that level of integrity and how that is organized. If you have the proper people that you are circling around you, then it's okay to give them information so that they develop that trust too. You know, it's something that you have to work toward in making sure that that is something that, that they're offering and giving back. So how about earning the trust, you as the leader? I think that's one of the things I see missing so often is the team doesn't trust the leader and they don't trust each other. And it, if you don't have trust in an organization, you got all sorts of issues. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've got to earn it as well. Just because I'm the guy that's writing the paycheck doesn't mean that I automatically get it. I think that you just develop it over time. So it's something that you, you work toward and develop and earn. So Scott, you've, you know, you look at your journey right now, you started, you said at 27 in your first, the first business, the parking business, you're in that, I think you said you exited that in 2014. So in that business quite a while, now got some new ventures. And I always struggle with this word because I think we all have to define success for ourselves. But knowing you, I would certainly say you've achieved a success across a lot of spectrums, business success, financial success, family success. <clears throat> Uh, relational success. I mean, yeah, you had a divorce, but I, I mean, I know your relationship now. You look at the whole of Scott Diggs, you have achieved a lot. What's been some of the core elements of that journey that opened the door for that? You know, early on in my, uh, in my journey, in my life, my dad was in the banking business for, um, for 35 years um, and worked his way to the top. Um, and early on in my twenties, uh, I can remember thinking to myself, if I can just be more successful than my dad, then I would <laughs> consider myself have been successful. And that was, I guess, young in my twenties. And, um, and what I realize now is that's not at all what it's all about. I mean, I think success yeah. is, uh, is measured not to me by monetary achievement. I think it's, it's so much bigger than that. I think that if you do the right thing as you know, and work toward being that kind of person, dollars fall out of the bottom of the cone. But if you put good stuff in the top of the cone, then dollars fall out of the bottom. So you certainly do have to focus on the bottom line. But I think if you focus on doing the right thing, having the right people, having a very good vision, having a good business plan, budgeting properly, 
and working through a methodical plan, just like I was talking about my goal sheet for each year. You know, you, you work through a plan and you have to be uh, purposeful. I think that you, uh, you plan and make your plan. And I think a lot of people fail to plan. They don't plan to fail. They just fail to plan. And so if you set forth that plan, then you can achieve success. And I, I do think I have achieved some success. You know, I think you look around the people that you circle with. I think your friends, people that, people that you associate with, help you to become successful. Uh, as iron sharpens iron, we sharpen each other. So I think yep. that, um, that success is measured to me in so many different ways. I think if, if all of our kids turn out to be good, decent, successful, hopefully people of faith doing the right thing, that to me is probably the ultimate success. Yeah. Is, you know, being I a good person, family man, and being a good a good father, a good husband, and a good business leader. Um, I think that's the ultimate success. It's not about how big your company is, or how many people you've got, or how much money is on your balance sheet. You know, that's those are evidences, but it's not at the core of what success really is, in my opinion. But that comes back to your big word, legacy. Yeah. yeah. It's such a big word. You know, it's just a little <laughs> word about that long. And I wrote pages. <laughs> I mean, what does legacy mean? You know, I mean, like yeah. if, if, if for some reason I got taken out today, you know, you can go to my funeral and say, you know, I, I tried to live every single day to the fullest and I try not to miss one. I want to talk about my good buddy. I don't know, Jeff, if you met Keith Wiegand uh, out in Colorado, but a uh, good, good friend of mine and uh, just an adventure. He makes me look like a like child's play when it comes to adventure. <laughs> um, but, uh, but Keith went through a bat with prostate cancer about seven, eight years ago. And it was bad. Um, and the Lord has healed him and he's good now. And he has picked a number of, uh, of when he thinks he's going to die. And I think it's like 88 or 89 or something like that. I'm like, why'd you pick that number? Why'd you pick 95 or 100? So I'm just trying to be reasonable. <laughs> so, so he literally knows, if you ask him today, if you text him, you say, what's today? He's at that day like 9,500 and somewhere in that neighborhood. But he wakes every day and he says, I only have 9,000 days left. I'm not wow. going to miss this one. With that wow. lens. He's like, so if an opportunity is thrown his way or comes his way that day, he's, he says, yes, if it fits within the plan, yes. And, and don't miss a day. And I, I try to live that way too. So that if something were to happen, I won't be able to say, you know, my kids and, uh, and my wife and, and my business associates that, um, that they could continue without me. Hmm. Wow. Such a good perspective. There are two things I loved in what you said there at the end. One is, I hadn't heard it before that way. The money comes out the bottom of the cone. Mm, yeah. And that to me is so such a great visual for me of what I believe. I know Craig believes and what we talk about is, and then the, the tie to that is you kept, you've said over and over today, it's about doing the right thing. And everybody's got their perspective on it, but never once have you said it's about doing the best thing or doing the perfect thing. It's doing the right thing. And I, to me, what I'm taking away from this is the top of the cone is all those right things. If I do all the right things, I'm not assured any particular outcome. In fact, it's not mine to decide. Mm. I decide what goes into the top of the cone and I decide who I am in that cone. I decide, I decide that. That's the, those decisions about who I am and who I'm choose to be, who I'm committed to be, how I want to show up in the world. And the, the, the money is this outcome that comes right. out. And it comes out in the form it's supposed to and when it's supposed to. Right. Well, Not it's like the quality time. of the seed. 
right? So the, you're putting the quality of the seed in the top and you get a money tree coming out the bottom. <laughs> but what you have, what the, what the big thing is, it's not just about the money. And to your point, it's really about all of the other pieces. And I, I would say some people are focused on income, but I think when you focus on impact, that's where the income follows. Right. Yep. And, and you're right, Chuck. You can't, if you set yourself on, uh, on trying to be perfect, you will fail because there's only one perfect person that ever walked the earth mm-hmm. and, uh, and he didn't me. So <laughs> just try to, to do the best thing that you can do in all those circumstances. So yeah, do, do your best and also stay focused. I mean, stay focused on what you do best. I think a lot of people, especially, I mean, I've got to stay focused on this one too with the ADD tendencies. And I have this just my brain sometimes just like, like freaking internet going off, you know, there's like yeah. little clicks everywhere. I'm like, all right, Dave, stay focused. This is what we're working on. Here's your business plan. Here's your model. Yes. Is there an opportunity to go chase a rabbit over here? Yeah. Maybe we can explore it, but what do we do? Well, what do we do best? Stay focused on what we do best and, uh, and keep your eyes open for opportunities to, because change is inevitable. You have to change or else you'll get left behind, but stay focused on what you do well. Yeah. Right on. God, thank you. Thank you, Scott. So good. I knew it would be, uh, I knew you would bring some great wisdom to us and very deep, heartful wisdom. We always close out with a couple of questions. And one of the questions I want to close with you, Scott, is a book. You and I know you're a voracious reader like I am. But what's one book that comes to mind if you were to say to someone, hey, read this book. Do you really want to amp up your leadership and your impact? I struggled with this one when you uh, set me up for this about selecting one book. You know, and, that's the idea. Uh, Make it difficult. So, so I didn't. I'm going to throw three at you, and the reason I'm going to do that is rule because breaker. I know I got to break the rule. Is <laughs> there are so many different aspects of your life, so I wanted to touch on three. So the book that's made the most impact on my faith walk um, is uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh, Josh McDowell. McDowell. Yep, best best book. It's it's not a book that you can sit down and just read cover to cover. Yeah, it is so full of uh, of information where he tried to, as an atheist, disprove the Bible. And yep. I'm very factual. I'm a science. I'm a math guy. So for me, I accepted on faith, Christ. But it was later that I read that book that it was able to confirm for me, like, how can we trust the Bible? How can we trust that it? it's a real document? How yeah. can we trust on things? So for me, that one was the one that impacted me most from a faith perspective. I'm very passionate about fatherhood and fatherhood initiatives. I've, I've acted and served on boards with the National Center for Fathering and very focused on starting other things that aren't business related, like a watchdogs program in our county where we started about 30 watchdogs programs with schools in our county. And so for me, fatherhood is extremely important. So the book that most impacted me there was Raising a Modern Day Knight. Um, mm. and, and just the the vision and the pictures that I learned in that book, and I'll be happy to touch on awareness ceremony, the passage ceremony, if you would like for me to. And then you're going to get into person in a second, which kind of blows into the other one. But from a business perspective, I've read tons of business books. I tend to only read business books and and spiritual books. Um, And from a business perspective, um, I've read some great business books, but one of the ones that's really impacted me the most is is our friend Tommy Spaulding and his book, The Heart-Led Leader, and it's not just who you know. And the reason that they've hit me so hard is because so many things are about how do I get from others and how do I learn from this and how do I achieve, how do I do this, this, and this for me? How do I gain it for me? 
And Tommy's book was the antithesis of that. It was the other way around. It's like, it has yeah. nothing to do with me. How do I, how do I just go through my day and make it all about Craig? How do I make it all about Jeff? How do I make each situation that I'm involved in? How do I help the person that I am involved with right now get what they want? Not what I want. How do I help them get what they want? And so for me, that was like the whole flip side of, uh, and I didn't read this until like 10 years ago. It's been maybe not quite that long, but somewhere in that neighborhood. And I'm like, wow, just, it's so opposite from what we've been taught. So for me, Tommy's books have probably been the most impactful hmm. in terms of developing my business character. And then fundamentally, um, I love the books, um, the whole series, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Yeah. I've read all of them and they aren't overly complex but they are money. I mean, they are just so focused mm -hmm. on the proper business uh, elements. So mm -hmm. apologize for breaking the rules, but those are the four that I narrowed it down to. <laughs> well, Trust if you're going to break it, break it big. You're not the first, you won't be the last. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I can only do so much reining in virtually. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so the other question I want to ask you, Scott, is speak to role models. Who, yeah. Who's the leadership role model for you and why? that flows into the same part of that answer. So I've met a lot of leaders and there's a lot of people that I'd love to spend time with, but probably the person that I have experienced is the most authentic leader. It truly is about servant leadership is Tommy, Bobby Spalding. Mm. He and I met in college, so I've known him for 30 years. And what I've, I think I'm most impressed is there's some people that come into the circuit that do leadership and that are really good at leadership and call themselves great leaders and are good leaders. But when, for him, I've known him 30 years. I watched him run uh, his pledge class uh, under while I was, I was a senior. He was a sophomore, I believe. And I watched him, his, his nickname in his pledge class, and he was the president of his pledge class, was Mother Teresa. I mean, he's <laughs> always been that guy. He'll probably be, be upset that, uh, that I said that, but, but that was his nickname. And he's just always been that guy for me. And he's taught me so much about it and about you. Yeah. It's about the other person and what they're getting. So good. Awesome. Fantastic. So read his Thank book. You. Yeah. Well, I've got that's them both. Yesterday. I them both. That's how we met, obviously, too. So. Yeah, right on. And that's how I met yeah. Tommy was by reading his book and reaching out saying, I got to meet this guy. There's something yeah. special. There is. Uh, and I've seen him, I've seen him lead his, his wife. I've seen him lead his kids. I've seen his problems. I've seen him lead his employees. You know, I've, I've seen him under the hood. Um, and he really is that guy. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Thanks for sharing, Scott. Is there some way that people can reach out and find out more about you or reach out to you if they want to? Absolutely. Yeah, hit me up on uh, LinkedIn, Facebook. I'm on both of those. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We will make sure everybody has that and able to reach out to you easily. So thank you for being here, Scott. Thanks for being the gift to not us, but the people who are out there. And I, mean, I know you've already had an impact in my life, both personally and professionally, and uh, grateful for you. and grateful that you're part of this planet frankly making a difference you, every day thanks for being here appreciate you appreciate your friendship come back and see me sit on this porch with me <laughs> Greg, good to see as, you. as soon as we yeah. lift this it will, i will be there my friend well, we would love keep, to a light, keep a light on and a cab open for me or a bourbon i, I will and the uh, and your room is available and ready for you <laughs> that's good to know thank yep. you scott that's thank great. you gentlemen If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartavera Tribe. The Cartavera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. 
Cardivera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cardivera tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cardivera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because... The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. 